Well, tonight it's going to be a fabulous time because Susie Chun is going to be speaking to us tonight. So if you have a place to take notes, you want to take some notes. Now, you might have some questions afterwards. I'll also come up at the end of the night and then address a couple things. But uh, I'm going to ask Susie if she could come up. Would you just welcome her up right now? She's going to be sharing tonight and... And you're going to hear a couple words, but I just want to prep your hearts really quick. You're going to hear like holy convocation. You're going to hear remembering. You're going to hear appointed or appointment. You're also going to be hearing about repentance. And so you're going to hear these words, but there are going to be some key phrases that will jump out at you. Write that down. See how you're going to apply it in your life. And then at the same time, when you hear about a holy convocation, once we hear the word holy, we're thinking, I'm not holy. The Lord says, be holy for I am holy. That means it's possible. But see, we can never be holy unless we go through an unholy temptation. If there's an unholy temptation, you can say, no, not going to do that. The Bible says, and then you become holy for he is holy. Jesus did that at the Mount of Temptation. He said no to the devil, and he said yes to what was written. So as Susie shares, write down some things, okay? Could we welcome Susie one more time as she shares? Shalom. I am oh, good. <laughs> I am delighted to be here tonight. I do want to tell you that there is a, a outline notes for you. If you didn't pick them up, I see Marsha has some. Pastor Marsha has some in the back. Uh, did anybody not get those? Because what I've done is I've outlined everything I'm going to say, the most important parts, and I've also put scripture references. So you can, and there's, I'm sure you can put notes on that too. All righty. Well, I'm delighted to be back here tonight to teach on the Hebraic roots of our faith. Before we go into an exploration of God's appointed times, and specifically the fall feast, which we will be covering over the next few weeks, I want to briefly answer the question, why do this study? Why should a 21st century, mostly Gentile group here tonight examine their Jewish roots, specifically the appointed times in the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament. Firstly, God's appointed times, uh, which in Hebrew are called Moadim, are not just Jewish holidays. In Leviticus 23, the most significant chapter outlining these Moadim, or these special times, it refers to it as the Lord's appointed times. In fact, this chapter of Leviticus, Leviticus 23, is sometimes referred to God's calendar of redeeming grace, presenting his redemptive plan. God's calendar of his redeeming grace, presenting his redemptive plan. So on Leviticus 23.2, it says, The Lord is speaking to Moses. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed time which, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. There's that word. The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. The rest of the chapter describes seven appointed times God has with his people. Now, appointed times literally means an appointment. In this case, a divine appointment with God. You all have calendar books where you write down when you're going to meet people and what you're going to do, what's going to happen. Well, the Moedim, or the Lord's appointed time, 
puts us in God's calendar book. When he plans to meet us and what he decides that he's going to accomplish his purposes. In the Western world, we go by the Gregorian calendar, counting the years since the birth of Yeshua. That's Jesus. But God's calendar is a lunar one where each month begins with a new moon. There are very significant days and times marked down to be noted according to the cycle of the moon and in fact the stages of the sun and the stars also. In Genesis chapter 1 is the creation story. When God created the stars and the moon and the sun, he said, they are for day and night and to be signs and for seasons and for days and years. Today in God's calendar book or appointment book, it is the third day of the month of Tishri in the year 5,776. We call it September 16th, 2015. But in the Hebrew calendar, it is the third day of Tishri, 5776. Tishri is the seventh month in the Jewish calendar. Now, let's take a moment, moment and look at that word holy convocation that Pastor did mention from Leviticus 23.2. The Hebrew translation is mikra. It's not just a gathering of people, but means a sacred gathering, a a sacred set-apart assembly with the implication that it's a dress rehearsal for something. So if we pull Leviticus 23-2, where we begin to see these things called God's appointed time, or Moedim, we pull it together, we see it puts us in God's calendar book, what he has planned for us, where he will reveal his glory and his future purposes. And we get to practice at the dress rehearsal before the actual fulfillment of that divine appointment, e.g. the prophetic fulfillment of it. You will understand better this idea of divine appointment and practicing as we go through these fall feasts. Unfortunately, the church has rooted out its Jewish roots to a large degree, divorcing itself from anything Jewish. But the Jewish roots of the faith are being brought back now in the church in a balanced, non-legalistic way, and we are part of that renewal, and I'm thankful for that. It's exciting for you as a 21st century believer in Yeshua, Jesus, because it will enrich your life as a believer. It puts you on God's timetable as we celebrate the Moedim and helps you to rehearse to prepare the way of the Lord. And that's why we're taking a look at these fall festivals, to enrich your life, to put you on God's calendar, to help you prepare the way of the Lord. Last spring, Pastor Sheldon and I taught on the spring Moedim. You can read about them in Leviticus 23, 4 to 21. As you can see on this chart, we can put the chart up. The first spring Moedim, or appointed times, are lumped together over a 50-day time period. The first one, Passover. That's when Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, providing redemption for all mankind. He was buried on the next one, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he rose from the dead three days after 
that being the first fruit of all to be resurrected from the dead. Fifty days later, and we also did a teaching on that, on Shavuot or Pentecost, the promise of the Holy Spirit arrived, along with the birth of the church. And so those are the spring harvests, the spring festivals that end in about our month of May. So that's where we were. Then comes a four-month period, our June, July, August, or May, June, July, August. It's a long summer. If you read Leviticus 23, 22, you can see it's a four-month pause, but it's very important in God's prophetic timeline. It's a harvest time, and it's the age we live in right now, as the chart shows. It says the church right in that part right there. For the church, it is special because it's a time of harvest for souls. The first, the fall, the spring feasts were all fulfilled in the first coming of Yeshua. Then we have this pause time, a summertime, a time of harvest. And that's where we're at right now. John 4.35 says, Do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. On the fields they are white for the harvest. This is a season the church is in now. The harvest field is abundant and ripe, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the entire earth. This is our calling. As we prepare for the fall feasts yet to be fulfilled prophetically, because they are all about the second coming of Christ and the future kingdom of God. But we are here in this harvest time right now, in this pause time. And indeed, you can see God's plan of salvation and redemption from the beginning of these and Passover through to the last one that we'll discuss, the uh, Feast of um, Tabernacles. So let's get started looking at the first fall feast. That's what we're going to cover tonight in God's appointment book. It's called Yom Teruah, or Feast of Trumpets. It actually just was celebrated over the last two nights, two days. It started Sunday evening and ended last night. All Jewish holidays begin in the evening and end in the evening. It was on the first and second days of Tishri. Remember, tonight's the third night of Tishri. These two day, this holiday is celebrated for two days, but it's considered like one 48-hour period for a very interesting reason. For the, because this is the only one of the holidays that begins on the new moon, the first of the month, and all the, uh, in the Hebrew calendar, every month begins with the new moon, it's very difficult to identify the, the new moon, to see that little crescent, the first little crescent of the moon when it first comes up, and it was the rule that the rabbi had to see it, sanctify it, okay, it, the month has begun, we now, and for this month, the Feast of uh, Trumpets has begun, and we can declare it. So they left a window of two weeks, of two days, excuse me, of two days, so they could be sure that they would be celebrating at the right time. And in other words, they knew the season when it would begin, but not the exact day or hour. 
And that, that might sound familiar to some of you, knowing the season, but not the day or hour. We'll come back to that in just a bit. Well, what is Yom Teruah, or Feast of Trumpets, all about? This appointed time, also be called a feast or a holiday, the words are interchangeable, is a real mix of solemnity and joy. Serious themes of repentance and judgment are mixed with joyful ones of regathering and hope for future redemption. Yom Teruah means day of blowing the trumpets or blowing the shofar. The shofar is what Matt blew earlier. It's a dried ram's horn, usually made from a dried ram's horn. Teruah can also mean awakening or a shout, a blast. It's the biblical name for the holiday. Now, in the Bible, it does not exactly say what this holiday is about. Some of them are, some of the Moedim or appointed times are related to things like when the Jewish people were released from bondage in Egypt for Passover or a certain harvest. But with this one, this is what the Bible says about it. In Leviticus 23, 23 to 25. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel in the seventh month, the first of the month is to be for you a day of complete rest for remembering a holy convocation. There's that word again. Announced with blasts of the shofar. Do not do any ordinary work and bring an offering made by fire to the Lord. We see here that it's a day of rest and remembrance, blast from the shofar, and there's to be a holy convocation assembly to practice something together. As we examine Yom Teruah tonight, I think you will see what we are remembering, what the blasts of the shofar mean, and just what we might be practicing in observing this appointed time. Now, this appointed time is also called Rosh Hashanah, which means head of the year. It has become the Jewish civil new year with uh, new beginnings related to agriculture and property, and it marks the beginning of the Sabbath years in the Jubilee, which we'll talk some about next week. The actual beginning of the biblical beginning of the Jewish new year is in the month of Nisan when Passover comes. So how is this holiday observed? A mix of soul-searching, repentance, and joy. As mentioned before, it was a Sabbath day of rest, of gathering together and remembering and of making burnt offerings at the temple. Since the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 AD, there can be no animal sacrifice. So instead of doing these sacrifices, these blood sacrifices now, the Jewish people have replaced it with repentance and acts of repentance and saying prayers. The word that's used now is the word teshuva. Literally means return, such as returning to God. This is the word for repentance, a time of repentance and humbling yourself before the Lord, returning to him. And so all over on these last couple of days, Jewish people would go to synagogue and say prayers of forgiveness and focus on God's goodness. Isaiah 55, 5 through 7 was read, in which talks about seeking the Lord while he may be found and returning to Adonai who will mercifully forgive sin. So why is there emphasis on repentance and spiritual recalibration before God at this time. 
The answer is in the third name of the holiday. It's, remember, it's Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, the Jew, head of the year, the Jewish year, New Year, and the third name is Yom Hadim, the Day of Judgment. It is believed in Jewish tradition that at this appointed time on Yom Teruah or Yom Hadim, God opens two books. One is the Book of Life, where the names of the righteous are written, who will inherit eternal life. The other book has the names of the unrighteous, who will be eternally lost. And it be it's believed, this is Jewish belief, that these books will remain open for 10 days now. And that, and the books will be closed on the next Moedim, Yom Kippur, which happens next week. And so during these 10 days, which began two days ago, we're in the third day of it now, it's, they're, it's called the Days of Awe. And it's a time of serious coming before the Lord, repenting to Shuvah, returning to God, in hopes that their name will be in the book of life when the books are closed. Because when the books are closed, that's it the whole next year. Now, for the Jewish people who do not know Yeshua as their Messiah, they do not have that assurance of salvation. And so that's why they are praying. And we'll talk more about that next week as we look at Yom Kippur, the holiest of all the days. Now, the traditional greeting for Yom Teruah, or its alternative name, Yom Hadim, is Lashana Tova Tikatevu. May you be inscribed in the book of life for a good year. Or Shana Tova, good year. Or even Gemer, now I'm going to mess this up. I have my Israeli friend here. I thought I'm going to mess them up. Gemer Shatama Tova. <laughs> May you finally be sealed. And I think that's for the Kolohe people. You know, may you finally get your name into the book. But because we're not Kolohe, if you can go back to that first slide that says Lashana Tova Tikatevu, that, uh, yeah, right there. So we're going to practice, okay? I'll say it first, then you just look to somebody near you. Lashana Tova Tikatevu. Lashana Tova Tikatevu which means may you be inscribed in the book of life for a good year. That's what it means. And then you can say to the person, the next slide, Gamlaha, same to you. Gamlaha, Gamlaha. Okay, good. Hebrew lesson for tonight. What else is done in modern Judaism on this appointed time? The accounts and births of Isaac being almost sacrificed or read from the Torah recalling God's faithfulness. And certain acts of teshuva or repentance are done. Orthodox men will take ritual immersions in water for sp spiritual cleansing. They will also go down to the water with, I think, usually some breadcrumbs in their pockets and cast the crumbs out into the water hoping that Micah 7.19 will be for them. You will cast all their, talking about the Lord, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And so there are these acts of trying to get right with God, of repentance throughout this holiday. 
And like all Jewish holidays, except for Yom Kippur next week, which is a fast day, there is food. And on this holiday, it's sweet food. The idea is that you will have a sweet year. Um, Hollas are baked in rounds, and there's different sweet cakes that are eaten. But the traditional thing is apples and honey. And we are so thankful that tonight, when you leave here, there's tables set up outside. Please take an apple and a little packet of honey and enjoy the, the apples and honey and the ideas that you will have a sweet year. Now, the most significant thing about this holiday is that the name of it, Yom Teruah, has to do to... Uh, teruah is the, means the blast of the shofar, and it is sounded a hundred times over the two days. We heard it once tonight. We're going to hear it a couple more times tonight. Sometimes long blasts, sometimes short blasts. The blowing of the shofar, the biblical significance is so rich. It's like God's exclamation point. It fills you with awe. Amos 3, 6 says, If the shofar, shofar is blown in the city, will not the people tremble? Here's a quote from a Jewish publication from Chabad of Hawaii about the blowing of the shofar. The call of the shofar touches the innermost chords of a Jewish soul. The call of the shofar summons us. Awake from your sleep and arise from your slumber. Examine your deeds and remember your creator. There are many reasons the shofar or trumpet was blown in the Tanakh besides instilling awe and awakening the soul. I'm just going to highlight a few tonight that are especially pertinent to this Feast of Trumpets and its prophetic significance. And this is all in your notes, but I'm going to be sharing the outline of it. First of all, the shofar was blown to assemble the people as an ingathering, an assembly, to be with the Lord for a time of worship and a time of repentance. It was also blown when there was danger as a warning and in battle. It is the blowing of the shofar that helps us to remember, and this holiday has an idea of remembering in it, helps us to remember the sovereignty of God. It is also a reminder, a remembrance of God's covenant with Israel when he gave the law on Mount Sinai and there was great sounds that accompanied that. Old Testament kings were, coron were coronated on Yom Teruah. Remarkably, each king had his own sound. Another reason the shofar was blown has an amazing prophetic significance for us today. And that was that it was blown to announce the arrival of the bridegroom who was coming back to get his bride. Let me explain to you the ancient Jewish customs of marriage that were in place during Yeshua's time. If you read Genesis 24, you will see these elements in the arrangement of the marriage between Isaac and Rebekah. It is a perfect type of the marriage, the, the bride of Christ, and the marriage supper of the Lamb that is to come. So I will talk to you about the ancient custom and then tie it in to what is prophetic now for us. Looking at these marriage customs provides a detailed illustration of the Messiah's relationship to his bride. And this is in your notes also. 
I've asked some family and friends to come and help illustrate the truths here. There were several stages leading up to the marriage. The first was a pre-time before the actual engagement or betrothal. To begin with, the marriage was always an arranged one, and it was the father of the groom who would pick out the bride-to-be. Ephesians 1.4 says, God the Father chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Here comes the father of the groom to pick out a bride for his son. Okay, good. The future bride and groom then signed a ketubah, which is a contract in which the groom promised to love and care for. I think Lester just was standing there because they're blocking the people there. Yeah. <laughs> Always a stage director, huh? The few, if you know me. The future bride and groom then signed this ketubah, is a contract. The groom promised to love and care for his bride, and the bride promised a dowry. The ketubah has its fulfillment in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, which, of course, over and over again expresses God's love, Yeshua's love for us, for all believers, and everybody knows John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That is our ketubah, our contract with him. Next, the, the groom gave a mahar, or a bridal payment for his bride. Of course, the bride price paid by Yeshua was his life. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For our part, 1 Corinthians 1, 6, 19 to 20 says, You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, you've probably read that scripture before and maybe not thought about exactly the price. We know the price is that Yeshua died for us, but it all has to do with these marriage ceremonies, this bride price that was paid. We, as the future bride of Yeshua, are to keep ourselves for him, a life yielded to him. The next thing the future bride and groom did in this time of preparation for betrothal, we're not even engaged yet, is take separate mikvah or ritual baths for immersions, and that was a time of spiritual cleansing. And indeed, Yeshua, our bridegroom, was baptized, immersed, and we are as believers. The connections go on as we look at the actual betrothal or engagement ceremony of the bride and groom. This period is called the Kedushim, meaning sanctification or set apart. The word really defines the purpose of this betrothal period. It's a time in which the couples were set apart to prepare themselves to enter into the covenant of marriage. They entered into this betrothal people, uh, uh, sorry, betrothal period standing under a hoop. A hoop is a cloth, a big thing which we didn't set up today, but if you can imagine a cloth over Matt and Kashi right now. And this is when their actual engagement or betrothal would take place. They would share a cup of wine together. And then the groom would give his bride a bridal gift to seal 
their covenant relationship, that they would be future husband and wife. Every time we take communion, we are remembering our betrothal to the Lord. And what is the gift he has given to us that seals this engagement, that we know he, we are his and he is ours? The gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that witnesses to us we are his. John 14, 26 says that. And then the groom left his bride to prepare a place in his father's house for her with the intention of returning for her at a future time. Does that not sound familiar? John 14, 2 through 3. In my father's house, this is the words of Jesus, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, while the groom was building the house at his father's house, adding on an addition to welcome his bride, the bride was to prepare herself for the groom during his absence. She kept a light in the window, a filled oil lamp, ready to meet her groom when he came back. She wore a veil to show that she was betrothed. That's the stage of the marriage that we are in right now in God's divine appointment book. In Matthew 25 is the parable of the virgins with their oil lamps who are waiting for their bridegroom to come back for them, just like Kashi is here. Yeshua gives the message in this parable to be prepared, to be full of the Spirit, not drowsy while waiting for the bridegroom. You see, in the Jewish marriage, the groom came back suddenly. Only after his father had said it was time to go get her, the bride knew the season the bridegroom would return, but not the exact day, not the exact hour. At the end of the parable of the virgins, Yeshua told his disciples, Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. He echoed this thought again when he was talking about his second coming in Matthew 24, 42. When he, was, and he said, Be on the alert, for you do not know which day your father is coming. In speaking about his second coming, he was absolutely referencing these Jewish wedding customs. This time of engagement before the bridegroom returned was a time of preparation and anticipation on both the bridegroom's part and the bride. Remember I said that on this holiday of Yom Teruah, the idea of holy convocation or assembly meant practicing like a dress rehearsal? Well, what we are rehearsing on this holiday is a wedding rehearsal, our wedding to our Messiah, Yeshua. At this season on God's calendar, we are to make sure we're alert and that our wedding garments, which is our lives, are clean before him. And we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, preparing ourselves to meet our Messiah, our bridegroom. 
Now, what about the shofar? I haven't forgotten. That's why we're talking about these marriage customs. When the bridegroom, do you have your shofar? Good. When the bridegroom father says, go, son, get your ride and bring her home to the home that I prepared for her, the bridegroom announces his arrival with the blowing of the shofar. <laughs> That's the sound that the bride is waiting for. He goes to get his bride, and the actual marriage ceremony begins. He takes her back to his father's house. The Hebrew word for marriage is nisun, uh, or made from the Hebrew word nasah which means to carry away, for indeed the bridegroom comes and snatches away his bride, takes her to the new home, and over a period of seven days, they enter into the chuppah, the covering, and consummate their marriage, and then have a glorious supper afterwards where people are rejoicing at this marriage. And of course, the obvious fulfillment of this part of the marriage ceremony is when our bridegroom, Yeshua, comes to carry us away to the home he has prepared for us and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelations 19, hallelujah. I believe Yeshua is longing to blow that shofar to gather his bride for eternity. But he's not just a bridegroom. He is the King of Kings, the conquering Messiah, the Lion of Judah, and indeed the sound of the shofar announces the return of the Messiah. Scriptures in both the Tanakh, the Old Testament, and the New Testament speak of this coming, which involves judgment and deliverance. Two key scriptures from the Old Testament say this, Joel 2.1. Blow the trumpet in Zion, the sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. This scripture clearly speaks of judgment. The shofar, war the shofar warns of this, end-time judgment, which will take place on the earth. And then Zechariah 9.14 says, Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord will blow the trumpet. The Lord will blow the trumpet. We see this idea of the Lord himself blowing the shofar in a very familiar New Testament scripture associated with his return. Let's look at Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18 in a translation called the Complete Jewish Bible. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry, with a call from one of the ruling angels. And with God's shofar, those who died united with Messiah will be the first to rise. Then we who are left alive will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. So encourage each other with these words. Yes, our bodies will be redeemed at the sound of the shofar. Mitch Glazer, who is the president of Chosen People Ministries, a messianic organization, said, the sounding of the shofar encourages us to remember that our present bodies 
are only temporary. But through the hope of the gospel, we can look forward to eternal bodies and eternal life in unbroken relationship with God. The other New Testament scripture that, that shows this time so clearly is 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. Again, this translation from the complete Jewish Bible. Look, I will tell you a secret. Not all of us will die, but we will all be changed. It will take but a moment, the blink of an eye at the final shofar. For the shofar will sound and the dead will be raised to live forever. And we too will be changed. For this material, which can decay, must be clothed with imperishability. That which is mortal must be clothed with immortality. When what decays puts on imperishability, and what is mortal puts on immortality, then this passage in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and sin draws its power from the Torah. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. So, my dear brothers, stand firm and immovable, always doing the Lord's work as vigorously as you can, knowing that united with the Lord, your efforts are not in vain. Verse 58 exhorts us to stand firm, doing the Lord's work, As I mentioned before, this is the season we are in in God's calendar. We should be doing his work, preparing ourselves as we wait for the return of our Messiah, our bridegroom. When will this happen? We don't know. The day of the Lord says we'll come like a thief in the night. We are warned not to name the hour or the day, but I believe as believers, as children of light, we can know the season. First Thessalonians 5 goes on to say, but you brothers are not in the dark, so that the day should take you by surprise like a thief, for you are all people who belong to the light, who belong to the day. We don't belong to the night or to darkness, so let's not be asleep like the rest are. On the contrary, let us stay alert and sober. Here again, we're exhorted to stay alert sober, while we wait for the sound of God's shofar. For believers, Yom Teruah can be a time for taking stock, checking our wedding garments, if you will, preparing for that heavenly marriage supper of the Lamb, while using our time wisely to bring as many guests as we can to that marriage supper of the Lamb. It's time to shake off spiritual slumber, reconnect to the Lord, and be about the Father's business. And of course, it's a time to thank him and praise him that we know that our name is in that book of life. I'm just about to finish now, but I want to give you a quote by uh, a pastor who pastors Times Square Church in New York City. It's an amazing church. If you've never been there in New York, I highly recommend you go there. His name is Carter Conlon, and this is what he says. I promise you one thing you will have an incredible life when you choose to live for God. Yes, when you are determined to follow him fully, there will be difficult days. 
Yet, when you get to the end of the journey, you will realize that you would not trade a day of it, for you will have brought glory to the name of Christ. So do not be sold short on what God has for you. Let's all be part of the end-time bride who glorifies Christ on earth. Let's all be part of the end-time bride that glorifies Christ on the earth. Next week, we're going to look at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It falls on the 10th of Tishri. This is the third of Tishri tonight, today. So it will begin next Tuesday night and end on Wednesday at sunset, just as we are coming together here. As I mentioned before, it's this time right now, it, we are in the days of awe, the days of traditionally really examining ourselves. I want you to encourage you in a non-legalistic, grace-filled way to use this time for self-examination and to do teshuva, if necessary, returning to God. Jews all over the world, including myself, will fast from the eve of Yom Kippur on Tuesday evening until sundown on Wednesday. I personally am going to be checking to see that my lamp is filled, and I'm also going to be praying for my people, that the veil will be lifted off their eyes so they can recognize their Messiah. Join me in this fast if you want to, and we'll meet again next Wednesday, right at the end of the fast, to better understand the concept of atonement and what God's prophetic timeline specifically for these fall feasts for his chosen people, the Jewish people for Israel. And that's it. <laughs> this is so, uh, you know, when you can learn more about the Jewish roots, then when you read the Bible, it comes to life and it, it makes so much more sense if you're doing your devotions with us, sometimes you read something and you're thinking, ah, that doesn't apply to me. But when you know the background, oh boy, does it apply. You know, we don't have to hope that our names are written in the book of life. We know because of what Christ has done. As we sing this final song, we're going to sing Cornerstone. And, and what we're saying is that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the Messiah. And I like when, when you're saying that the Lord will blow the trumpet. Jesus himself will blow the trumpet for his bride and that last day I, I, I like how Matt blows the trumpet it sounds awesome but imagine when Jesus blows the <laughs> trumpet and it's God's trumpet it's his shofar and God creates some pretty amazing things so I can imagine what that's going to sound like but I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray and can we just thank Matt, Susie Matt, one more time then he's going to do the okay. lesson okay and so right at the end of the prayer, Matt is going to do one last blast before one trumpet blast before we sing our final song together. But we're going to dismiss Susie. You can step down. Thank you so much, Susie. And let's pray together. So when I say amen, Matt, by the way, Matt and Kashi are married. Just to let you know. Okay, let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you gave your one and only son for us. Boy, it makes so much more sense. It's so personal that we're the bride of Christ, that you're preparing a place for us. 
that if it wasn't so, you would have told us plainly, but you prepare a place for us. And one day, when everything is ready, you will come back. We will hear the trumpet blast, and we will know that you have been preparing all this time. We all have a home, Lord, and it's with you in eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.